Minnesota with a chance to win it right here. Special for Carr. Off the bounce. Big time. That car will drive. Are you kidding me? This is Niederreiter holding on to it. And he scores. Nino Niederreiter wins the series for the Minnesota Wild. Brett Favre goes back to pass. He pumps. Now he fires over the middle. Intercepted. I can't believe what I'm seeing right now. It was intercepted by Tracy Porter. Near side to the 40. And John Sullivan runs him down at the 47-yard line. You've got to be kidding me. I can't believe what I just saw. That strike three from Presley. And the Astros win it 3-1. to one, And they sweep the wild card series. Two games to none. Holding the Twins offense completely in check. With the sixth pick in the 2009 NBA Draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Johnny Flynn from Syracuse University. Heartbreaking losses, questionable wins, and unquestionable fandom. This is your source for Minnesota sports talk. This is Land of 10,000 Tears with your host, Brett Lindbergh. Hello, everybody. My name is Brett Lindbergh. I am your host for Land of 10,000 Tears. This episode is brought to you by Ted's Pizza, located at 306 Main Street, East Menominee, Wisconsin. Stop on in or order, whether that's online or over the phone. Got a lot of great things like pizza, pasta, euros, sandwiches, you name it. Cold beverages, anything that you're craving, they've got it. Taste the homemade difference, that is Ted's Pizza. We've got a lot to talk about going to cover gopher basketball, the wild, the wolves, some Vikings news, a little bit of an update on gopher baseball and gopher hockey, and then talking about the twins tonight. So it's a packed show. I don't even know where to begin. Talk about gopher baseball because they released their schedule. They're going to play a 39-game schedule starting March 5th. They're hosting Indiana and Rutgers. That is a weekend series, the 5th, 6th, and the 7th. That's being played in U.S. Bank Stadium. Gotta love that they can play baseball in Minnesota in March because it's an indoor stadium. It's awesome. If you haven't watched a baseball game in U.S. Bank Stadium, at some point you've got to. I know this year might be different. Probably not going to get a chance to, but in the future... Give it a shot. It's a good time. I've got some great memories of going to watch my buddies play there. Uh, excited to watch Gopher Baseball from afar. Hopefully they'll have some televised games this year, but I'll make sure to keep you updated and in the know. Last Friday night, Gopher Hockey played, and it was their first game since I mentioned them on the pod. Uh, they were 15-5 and at the time. They were playing against Notre Dame, and the Gophers really needed to get back on point here. They took care of business 3-0. Notre Dame isn't the team that they usually are in hockey, but, you know, a win's a win. Like I said, Gophers started out really hot, and then they faded off going 5-5 over their last 10, so getting back on the winning track was huge. Their next game is tomorrow night against Michigan State, so best of luck to the hockey team tomorrow night. I'm going to talk about the Minnesota Wild now. They had been without a game for 15 days because of COVID protocol being breached. And I think we can all relate. If you haven't done something for 15 days, so two weeks, uh, you might feel a little bit rusty. And for the Wild in the first period, that was definitely the case. 
they only put up three shots on goal in the first period, and that was absolutely crazy to me. Three shots. I know they don't necessarily count every single shot near the net as a shot on goal. I believe that there were a few more shots, but none of them that were actually marked as a shot on goal. Uh, The first period, they got off to a really slow start, and they allowed the Kings to take a lead 1-0. Being down 1-0 in hockey, is it's it's nothing crazy, right? It's one goal. If you can't score one goal in hockey, then what are we even doing here? I mean, you got to score at least one, so let's make it two. You gave up one, make it two, you win the game. So the next period came around. The Wild put up three shots in the first minute and a half, so it seems like they got their legs back, and the second period was a lot better as far as puck possession in the Wild actually got more than three shots up on goal but they were also really aggressive they were the aggressive for that game they out hit the kings 36 to 15 so this is not the typical wild team that i'm used to watching i mean most of the time when the wild had been making the playoffs they would go up against either a winnipeg team or the st louis blues team where both of those teams were just out muscling them being way more physical hitting just commanding the puck, keeping it over into the wild zone. And this was different. The wild actually had a decent amount of possession. They just were never able to capitalize. And so far, a big issue for them thus far this season has been the power play. They have just not been able to get it going. They were 0 for 3 on power play opportunities. And you really got to make something happen on a power play. If you're not getting it when you're both at full strength, get something going with power play. And the Kings were able to score on one of their three power play attempts. And uh, honestly, that could have been the deciding factor. I mean, the Wild end up going down, losing the game 4-0, to zero, giving up one more goal, being an empty netter in the third period. So not a lot of positives to take away from this game, although Kirill Kaprizov still looking very good. He's doing a lot on offense with some guys that are not necessarily matching his intensity and maybe his effort as well. I mean, and he just wasn't able to get it going that game, but he was really the only bright spot. The Wild are back in action tonight against Anaheim at nine, looking to see a bounce back from them. Hopefully they can get back on the winning track. It's time to recognize one of my official sponsors, That is North Coast Craftsman. Anyone can work with wood. We craft your experience. We design custom builds and projects to help you enjoy your gatherings and enhance your homes. Visit us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. For your next project, use the code BRETT10 to get 10% off through the month of March. That is capital B-R-E-T-T and then the number 10, 1-0, to get 10% off through the month of March. North Coast Craftsman. Awesome woodwork, great finish, and then even some smaller items like charcuterie boards and coasters, just things that add a little bit of accent to what you've got going on at your home. Really makes things look good. It's a great job and a reasonable price. So check them out on Facebook. All right, before I move on and talk about gopher basketball, I want to switch it up. We're going to talk Vikings. And I know the season is months away. The draft is months away, but we're going to talk draft. Before that, there was something interesting in the news. I saw Adrian Peterson came out and said he wants to play until he's 40 years old. 
which is crazy. He said he wants to break Emmett Smith's record. Adrian is between three and 4,000 yards away from Emmett Smith's record. That would be a lofty achievement. I'm not going to say he can't do it. I'm wondering if he's going to get the opportunity to. Because there are teams that have passed on him for three, four times now between when the Vikings decided they weren't going to re-sign him and then the Saints decided they didn't want him and then Arizona says the same thing and then Washington and then the Lions. I mean, he's had a bunch of opportunities with a lot of different teams and I'm not saying he can't still play. I think he still runs hard. I just think the league is transitioning in a different direction. Teams run the ball to set up the pass, but they're definitely most of the time a pass first team. I think I think he's still got some game in him, but 3,500 yards, that is just crazy. So Adrian Peterson is going to be looking for a new team. Honestly, I wish him the best of luck. He was one of my favorite players with the Vikings. I just don't know if I see it happening. Hopefully he gets signed with somebody. Personally, I don't really want him back on the Vikings. We run the ball so much anyway. I want us to kind of slow it down. Not slow it down. I want us to just use a more pass-centric approach rather than being so run-centric. Not even sure if those are real words, but you know what I mean. Vikings like to run, 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 play action pass, whereas that gets a little bit predictable. You know, sometimes you have to change it up, and why not? You got some weapons, you got some wide receivers, you got a solid running back, solid tight end group. Really, the only thing would be the O-line. So since we're going to talk about the draft, I wanted to break it down into a couple of categories because the Vikings have the 14th pick in the draft this year, and we got to identify some needs. So in order to do that, we got to talk about the roster, and I'm excited to do that, just kind of figuring out who's going to be playing where. First of all, I'm going to look at the defense, and we know we're getting Michael Pierce back, and we're likely getting Daniil Hunter back. It leaves a couple of pieces open on the D-line. We have Eric Kendricks, who is an awesome piece as a linebacker. He's one of the most undervalued players in the league, even though he's almost the most important player on the Vikings roster. He very well might be. I guess it depends if you value offense or defense first. Eric Kendricks is amazing. He does a lot of things that he does not get credit for. When you look at the safeties, Harrison Smith is still there, and that's awesome. He's also a really important player, and I think it's likely that the Vikings are not going to have Anthony Harris on their roster when the new year comes. So they might have to make a decision on bringing in a free agent or drafting somebody, or maybe they think there's somebody on this roster. I personally don't think so. You look at the corners then, and I think everybody's going to wait and see. With a full year of training camp under these newer rookies belts being Gladney and Dantzler, how they can make a positive jump towards year two. I'm not necessarily thinking that the Vikings will draft a corner in the first round, but I'm not saying that we're set by any means. I do think that if there is somebody there that you think is going to be a game changer, then you potentially will take one. I'm not thinking first round or maybe second round. I think the corners are going to get better naturally just with more experience. We will wait and see. Now we're going to transition over to the offensive side. We have our wide receivers set. We have our running back set. I think we have our quarterback set. 
although we're hearing some some things about Kirk and not going to get into that today. Really, the only thing that the offense is lacking is some solid offensive line play. And some of the guys are playing decent. I know Brian O'Neill looked pretty decent. And Riley Reef was relatively good for the amount of money we were paying him this year. He took a pay cut, and I didn't think that he would have all that much enthusiasm and really want to put forth all that much effort when you're asked to take a pay cut. You know, I mean, Riley Reef was a pleasant surprise. And then you look at Ezra Cleveland with the limited amount of snaps that he did play. He wasn't overwhelmingly good, but he wasn't terrible. I mean, I think he can make a step up going into year two as well. And then you look at guys like Dakota Dozier, Drew Samia, those guys, uh, and Garrett Bradbury, all three of them, very underwhelming. Dozier, not great. Bradbury, not great. Drew Samia was terrible. And it got to the point early on in the season where Drew Samia was starting and he was ranked literally the last offensive lineman in the league. You sat there wondering, how could Ezra Cleveland be worse than this? Even if he plays and he's this bad, at least you're working towards something. You're getting him reps to where he could potentially be better off later on. And so eventually they made the switch and we didn't see Drew Samia again. I really hope we never see him again. So I want to go into the draft. Way too early draft expectations. I broke it down into three categories. And I'm only talking first round and we can get on to the other rounds in a little bit potentially I think if we're going with a smart pick we could go defensive line with the first round pick I believe there will be a couple of good guys at defensive line and I think adding to a strength is good I mean you do not always have to address your worst position group with a first round pick our worst position group in my opinion, when everybody is healthy, is the O-line. I think when everybody's healthy, the D-line isn't that big of a problem. It's not great. It's probably our second worst or maybe our third worst position group. But what does Mike Zimmer love? He likes a big, nasty, tough defensive line. So you can add somebody to that group with Daniil Hunter, Michael Pierce, and I think Ifadi Odenabo maybe Shamar Stefan, and also DJ Wanham. I don't hate that group at all, but it could also help out our corners by getting an actual pass rush. Like Leaving those guys out on an island is definitely tough, like I said before, against the Devontae Adams of the world and you know Kenny Galladay, Allen Robinson. Those guys were facing twice a year in the division. You have to help out those corners, and the most important thing to do that would be to get a pass rush. So I think a very smart pick would be to address defensive line. But I don't know if it's the most necessary pick. I believe the most necessary pick is offensive line, and I've alluded to how poor I think this offensive line is. I don't think they're that far away, but as a unit, they're definitely lacking. And I mean, you can you can get better as an entire position group by adding a first-round talent as long as you hit on it. And I know the Vikings have missed on first-round offensive linemen before with Matt Khalil. And I know Pat Elfline wasn't a first-rounder, and neither was Garrett Bradbury, but those two guys were second-rounders. And so it's going to be interesting to see if 
the Vikings can potentially hit on an offensive lineman here. And so I'm not necessarily sure if they're going for left tackle, right tackle. Maybe they think it's a guard. I mean, Dakota Dozier was one of the worst parts of our offensive line. And the other guys were relatively okay, at least. So maybe you're going left guard. Maybe you get somebody who can play everywhere. I think the smart pick would be defensive line. The most necessary pick would be offensive line. And then I like to think about this other potential option. It's unique. There are a couple of guys doing mock drafts right now that are of the same thought where you go best available. And in a lot of mock drafts, which I know are not necessarily that reliable, they're saying take the best player. And a lot of the time, that ends up being a receiver. I know a couple of mock drafts have had Devontae Smith falling or Jamar Chase falling. I don't necessarily see how those guys are going to fall because those guys are great talent and I think they're going to be successful in the league. But let's say they do. How are you going to help Kirk Cousins out if you're going to take somebody on offense with the first round pick? Well, if you do offensive line, there are definite hopes and potential that you will help him out and give him a little bit more time in the pocket. Great. You know, Kirk Cousins, with a clean pocket, can make every throw you're asking him to, and you've got guys that can catch the ball. Awesome. Okay, well, since Kirk hasn't had a ton of time over the last few years, what about drafting another receiver? An absolute burner, a number three to complement Jefferson and Thielen. Let's say it's Jamar Chase. Let's say it's Devontae Smith. Either two of those guys would be electric on this offense. Jefferson has proven to be the best receiver on this team, and he's going to get better. Adam Thielen is still great. He's the veteran we need in this locker room for that position group, and he's so clutch in the red zone. So then you add another burner. Now I'm talking a burner. Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase literally lit up the record books over the last two seasons. I think that's a great way to help Kirk Cousins out too. Help Dalvin out. Help the offensive line. I think if you go wide receiver, you're going to force defenses to not focus on the run so much. And that's something that the Vikings are huge on, is trying to run the ball on first down and run it on second down. And if it's manageable, they're going to run on third down. What if they go wide receiver and they don't become so predictable? I'm for it. I know there are other position needs that are more apparent than wide receiver, but it's one way to make a splash. I know when I looked at the Dallas Cowboys after their first round pick with C.D. Lamb, I thought, wow. Who's going to be able to cover Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and C.D. Lamb all on the same field? I think Dallas has the right idea there. They have a similar offensive approach. You know, like they like to run the ball, go play action. Dallas was smart when they decided they were going to go best available. And C.D. Lamb fell and they thought he was the best wide receiver anyway. So they're going to take him. I think if the Vikings have a chance with a wide receiver on the board at number 14, then why not, honestly? Gives Kirk opportunity for one more weapon, potentially get the ball out of his hands quicker, takes the top off the defense if you got another burner. Maybe they can't stack the box so much on defense and Dalvin gets a little bit more favorable boxes. I I think you can't go wrong, honestly. But if I'm the Vikings, those are the three things that you have to You have to debate here. Smart pick, necessary pick, or best available? Who's going to make the biggest splash? 
That's what I'd be thinking if I'm Rick Spielman, if I'm Zimmer. This is something that I get really excited about, and I shouldn't be getting this excited about it this far away. We've got months until the draft comes up, so maybe we'll start talking about this in a few episodes when the Vikings roster is a little bit more solidified. We know who they're re-signing, who's gone. Maybe there's some position groups that now we know 100% that they're going to address. I look forward to it. All right, now I want to talk Minnesota Twins. Had some interesting news come across the TV today. Brian Dozier to retire. Minnesota Twins second baseman for a long time. Journeyman. Just a great guy. Fan favorite. Brian Dozier, towards the end of his career, was sort of bouncing around with the Dodgers and the Nationals trying to catch a World Series ring, and he was ultimately able to do that with the Nationals. Very happy for him. It's very similar to the J.J. Watt situation here where gave it all he had for however long, and then they decided they were going different directions. Why not let the guy go out and try to win a ring? And he was lucky to be able to do that with the Nationals. I know he didn't play a huge part on that team, but still gets to wear the ring. One of my favorite Brian Dozier memories was a few years back when he hit 40 homers as a second baseman. I mean, he's like 185 pounds. He's like 5'10". What kind of guy has that type of pop in the MLB? I mean, I know there are guys. I'm not trying to actually get answers to that question, but seriously, it's incredible. 40 homers from a second baseman just doesn't happen. I mean, he was an all-star a few times and Really loved watching Brian Dozier when he was relatively the only bright spot on some of those Twins teams for a couple of years. So really happy for Dozier that he had such a successful career and now he gets to hang it up and just go down and play golf somewhere south. Speaking of down somewhere south, the pitchers and catchers reported on Wednesday to spring training. The Twins are in the Grapefruit League and they're located in Fort Myers, Florida. So I wanted to talk about the pitching rotation and some of the bullpen guys just in honor of those pitchers and catchers reporting on Wednesday. So you look at the Twins rotation, guys that they're keeping from last year's, the continuity that we are going to continue to have from last season. Kenta Maeda, Jose Brios, and Michael Pineda. And then they're bringing in Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker. So I know in the past... The Minnesota Twins have really gone for a three-man rotation and then maybe every two weeks would mix in those other two guys. I mean, last year, and I know it was a shortened season, but last year, Rocco Baldelli really, really force-fed Kenta Maeda as much as possible, and I understand it. You know, you're playing basically all division games and you want to win every game, And that's totally understandable. I think they're going to ride the same horse and try to win as many games as possible. And Kenta Maeda is going to be their number one. Jose Brios is one of those guys that we still have no idea what kind of performance he's going to give us day in, day out. He's a guy who can go out there, give us 11 Ks and seven or eight innings. And he is the same guy who go out the very next start and give up five runs through four off of nine hits. I just don't understand it. And I'm not expecting him 
to be Clayton Kershaw. I'm not expecting him to be maybe even the guy that we all thought he would be when we first brought him up, but we all had high expectations. I mean, I'm not expecting that. I expect him to be a competent number two, and I'm looking for just a little bit more consistency. And apparently, the Twins front office really likes Michael Pineda. And I like him too, at least through five or six innings. If he gets through the did face a suspension for using performance enhancers, I mean, I got to believe that he's kind of done with that, right? I mean, he got another contract out of it. So I think Michael Pineda is going to be one of those guys we look for on our in game three, maybe game four of a long series. And as far as Jay Happ and Matt Shoemaker... I don't really know what to expect. I know J-Hap is a name that's pretty familiar, had some pretty decent showings over the last couple of years. He's that guy that the Twins went out and signed who's pretty old. I mean, the Twins do it every year, whether that's bringing in Rich Hill, Irvin Santana. They usually bring in an old guy. You know, I don't necessarily have super lofty expectations for J-Hap. You know, Matt Shoemaker, he's 34 years old, so he's not young, but he's not crazy old. His win-loss record through the 2020 season, 43-33. and 33. I mean, the guy's okay. His ERA is 3.86 and 540 strikeouts. I don't know. I mean, it's not like we're expecting a ton out of him. We brought in Homer Bailey last year, for God's sakes, like, we didn't hardly use him at all. I think I think that Shoemaker can be better than that. Homer Bailey looked terrible, and we knew it was going to happen, too. I just didn't get that. Bring in Homer Bailey. Okay, throw him against the Cubs. Gives up four homers in three innings. Just do not understand. That game, those games matter, too. <laughs> those interleague games do matter. When you look at the standings at the end of the season, overall record for sure matters. I want to get into the bullpen, guys. Twins just signed Alex Colomay, and I think they're going to move him into the closer role. What that would mean is that they're going to bump Taylor Rogers down, and that would bump Tyler Duffy down. So both of those guys get to pitch technically like an inning earlier than what they had been, which is, in my opinion, better. That's a little bit less pressure on those guys. And I thought they were good, but there were some games where you really, really needed them because it was a one-run lead, and then they just didn't get it done. I think Alex Colomay is going to come in here and breathe a little bit of life into this rotation. He's going to take some pressure off of these guys. Another guy that I think is going to be getting a little bit more run out of the bullpen is Jorge Alcala. He had a few opportunities last year. He was a little bit shaky at times. I I think he was a rookie, so I understand that. Look forward to him getting some opportunities out of the bullpen this year. Before I get started on the Minnesota Timberwolves, who have been in action twice since my most recent episode, I want to get into one of my other official sponsors, Triple Threat Training. Train like the pros at Triple Threat Training. Located in the heart of Chippewa Valley, Triple Threat Training brings next-level baseball and softball training to athletes of all ages. 
This is a company that is operated by three brothers that have all played professional baseball and have a passion growing the game while having fun. Go check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit their website, www.TripleThreatTrainingLLC.com to sign up for lessons today. Become the threat on the field with the help of Triple Threat Training. Guys, that's www.TripleThreatTrainingLLC.com. I know a lot of my listeners are parents. If you've got a kid that you want to get some extra reps during the offseason and keep them in shape, just take them off your hands. I'm not saying they're going to babysit them, but, you know, 45 minutes to an hour where you don't have to watch over your little rascal, give it a try. Triple Threat Training also has awesome merchandise like hats, shirts, sweatshirts, great stuff. You can find that on their website comfortable, looks good. All right, it's time to get into my segment about the Minnesota Timberwolves. Look, I know not everybody is super huge into hearing about the Timberwolves, but I'm going to force feed it. If you guys are listening, you're going to learn about the Wolves, whether you like it or not. So they played two games this week. They played on Tuesday night and they played last night. And we got some news on Monday that D'Angelo Russell is going to be out for four to six weeks. He's undergoing arthroscopic knee injury. I'm being told that it is considered what is called a loose body. I'm not necessarily sure what that means. I'm not going to go into it. He will be out for four to six weeks. This could be like an inadvertent way that the Wolves are supporting what I want as a fan and continuing to tank. You know, if you can't put out your best, your second best player, I should say, on the floor for four to six weeks, you can only be so good, right? Like, you want your best players out there all the time. But the Wolves might want that top three protected pick even more. Could be something that they're thinking about. I mean, Glenn Taylor's a scumbag. He's the owner. I believe that he maybe at least knows what's good for him. Get him one more draft pick instead of giving it to the Warriors. So the Wolves were up against the Lakers on Tuesday night, and Anthony Davis was also out. So that meant that the Wolves actually had a chance, even without D'Angelo Russell. The Wolves actually kept it close, and Anthony Edwards led the way with 28-7-5. and five. That's points, rebounds, and assists. And they were actually playing really close. It was a one-point game at the half. They were down two going into the fourth. And then the Wolves decided that they didn't really want to win because they only put up 21 points in the fourth quarter. And they lost by eight points, right? Like, the Wolves getting to the fourth quarter and then deciding that they're not interested anymore is exactly what I'm here for. If you want, just set a notification for your phone on when the fourth quarter starts because you can tune in and it is like clockwork. Wolves have a lead, lead's gone, right? Like, it's magic. It's a disappearing act. It's awesome. Especially if we're talking about being bottom three for the draft. So the Wolves end up losing to the Lakers. You know, they put up a way better showing than they did the first time they played them. They got beat by like 40. It was disgusting. That was back when I actually had some sort of expectations for them. 
shouldn't have done that, right? I, I definitely shouldn't have expectations for the Wolves or Minnesota sports teams. I mean, that's kind of what this podcasting thing is all about, right? So, they lost to the Lakers on Tuesday, but they were back in action against the Pacers last night. Jaden McDaniels, the Wolves' second-round rookie this year, getting his first start. Jaden McDaniels, uh, impressive player, very raw. He's lanky. He's about 6'9", but his wingspan is definitely longer than that. You can see it on the defensive side. He's blocking shots. He's getting into the gaps. He's deflecting passes. Gets a steal here and there. He's a defensive threat, which is refreshing to see. Defense in the NBA? What? I know. I got to calm down. So the Wolves played really, really well. They were ahead at the end of the third. And I'm wondering if you know where this is going. Because I was geared up for a choke in the fourth. And what do you know it? They blew the lead. But they didn't lose. You know why? Because the game was tied with 11 seconds left. And the Wolves had the ball. Who do we think that they would give the ball to? Would it be Carl Anthony Towns? Would it be Malik Beasley? Both of those guys went off for 30 in that game. But no, it's neither of them. It's Anthony Edwards. It's the number one pick of the draft this year. Guy that I've been really, really excited to watch. And he took a good shot. He took a three. It didn't go in. It wasn't his night. But they went to overtime. And then they lost. Which is interesting. I mean, the Wolves have played two overtime games now. And they're 0-2. And I'm not mad about that. Not mad that they lost. I like to see them compete. They're very exciting. Like I said, you guys might not want to watch it or hear about it, but honestly, if you just want to watch some very talented young players develop, that's what this season is about. It's not necessarily about the wins and the losses. You got to understand, like, they're going to get better as a whole. Like, they're all so young. I don't know what their average age is, and Ricky Rubio and Ed Davis definitely skew that to the older side, but it's very young. I have a little bit of optimism going forward a year or two from now. I mean, we'll see. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe I'll just leave it at that. But the Wolves have not been playing as bad as their record would show. They've blown like six fourth quarter leads this year. I've watched all of them. And I don't even get mad because it's like, why? Why get mad? You know that they don't play any defense. And you know that teams in the NBA don't really play that hard until the fourth quarter. Maybe they're just dogging it for three quarters. I mean, we're hearing about guys taking nights off just for rest. I mean, a lot of these guys don't believe in their whole rest thing, but they probably don't play all that hard for the first three quarters. They realize the game's in hand in the fourth or they're within reach so they can press on and try to actually take the lead. Then they get, that's what they're paid to do, right? They're not paid to go out there and score a bunch of points in the first quarter. Ah, Sorry to get off on a tangent. Next game against Toronto on Friday. The Wolves actually just beat Toronto. That was on Sunday night, so I'm sure they'll give one back to them this time. All right. It's time to go over the Minnesota Gopher basketball team, and this is the segment that I've been dreading, and it might run this entire episode a full hour because I don't know what to do about it. Before I get into Gopher basketball, I want to recognize 
a Gopher alumni who got a chance in an NBA game on Monday night, and that's Amir Coffey. And because I mentioned all these guys taking nights off due to rest, why not just name names? Talking about Kawhi Leonard, talking about Paul George, guys that just sit out whenever they want to. Hey, I'm fine with that if Amir Coffey gets to play. And Amir Coffey did get to play, and he made the best out of it. At 15 points on 5 of 6 from 3. Literally all of his points came from 3, but he wasn't missing. Okay, he missed one. I think we would all like to be 5 of 6 from 3 in an NBA game. When you look back at Amir's time with the Gophers, he was not really a shoot-the-three first type of guy. He was a slasher. He was a pretty good passer. Most of his impact is transition, ball handling, getting to the rim. He's decent on defense, right? He's an athletic guy, 6'5", 6'6", can run the floor. But I think what he realized when he got to the NBA is, hey, I'm not going to get all that much time on the court, so I got to make it worth it when I am out there. He got way better at shooting the three. Five is six. That's great. All right. I'm going to get into the game against Indiana last night. The Gophers were on the road at Assembly Hall. When I was watching, it sounded like there were fans there. I swear I heard like some lady just screaming at the top of her lungs. I don't know. I wasn't there, obviously. So right before game time, watching BTN and the broadcasters cut to a clip where they show Gabe Kalsher out with broken finger. It had happened the day before the game in practice. Reportedly, no timetable for that. So immediately you're wondering, okay, well, who's going to pick up the slack? Gabe Kalsher has been inconsistent this year, but he has provided some great sparks when they needed it. So you look at some of the guys that could potentially be getting some more minutes because of that would be Trey Williams, Isaiah Enan, Booth Gotch, who hasn't been playing hardly at all because he's been a massive disappointment, or Jamal Mashburn, who I'm very high on. So when you think about the Big Ten, there's a lot of really, really great players, right? I mean, you think about college basketball in general. Every team has their guy. Like, when you look over to the other side, you see the other team's best player, right? You know who it is. You've game planned for them. Your coach has implemented a plan. And how are you going to try to stop them? How are you going to try to stop these other guys, right? Like, that's what coaches do. You get, you get a game plan together. So I, I like to dumb it down for myself and for the viewers as well. Let's think about this. You've got a player on the other team that you know is really good. And you know that because last season in two games, he was averaging like 20 and 12 rebounds, of course, because he's a center, Trace Jackson Davis. He's a good player. I'm not going to say he's bad. He's not bad. He's good. And that's why you need to game plan for him. As a coach, at any level, you know that there's a really good player on that team. You got to put forth some sort of strategy, right? Whether it's do not let him win the game for them. Don't let him score. Don't let him get his. Make it tough. At least try. Make it really tough. Make somebody else beat you. Make those other guys beat him. Okay, great. That's one way to do it. That's what a lot of people prefer to do. There's another way to do it, right? Where you say, hey, this guy's going to get his. Let's do our best to neutralize everybody else. So even if he has 30, 
make sure the other entire, like the rest of the guys don't even have 30. So if you give up 59 points, you give up 60, you can still win that game. So you can pick either of those. And I think there's a path to winning from both. But you have to score points. You have to be able to weather the storm. You have to be able to score as much as the other team, right? That Dumbing it down here. What if you decide, hey, our game plan is to not stop Trace Jackson Davis. And our game plan is also let the other guys shoot the threes. Well, you might end up in a situation where the opposition ends up shooting 58% from three, and you might lose that game. And they might go on a 16-2 run with seven minutes to go in the game. They might do that, right? Well, they did. The Hoosiers did that. but They, they in fact, did that. 16-2 run from eight minutes to go in the game. Even after the Gophers had been ahead, you look at the box score here, 58% from the field, 58% from three, 77% from the line, 15 assists, 31 rebounds. Those were all Indiana stat lines, by the way. Gopher stat lines, they weren't that good. Field goal percentage, 40. That's, that's pretty subpar. 40? I don't know. That's not great. But you know what's worse? 20% from three. And they shot 23s. Indiana shot 12, but they made seven of them. They literally had three guys shoot and make all of their shots. I don't know if I phrased that very well. Indiana had three players. One of them went two for two from three. The other one went two for two from three. And the other one went three for three from three. You cannot let those guys do that if you're still going to let Trace Jackson Davis score a ton. He had 20 and he had 10. I don't understand. So Indiana also had two players score 16 points. So Jackson Davis had 20. Durham had 16. Hunter had 16. And the Gophers were in that game for a while until Indiana made three straight threes. And then they did it again. Gophers, how could they possibly be in this game? Well, Marcus Carr had 19. Jamal Mashburn had 19. Trey Williams had 12. Brandon Johnson had 11. I mean, they were in this game. The Gophers didn't play hardly as bad as I make it sound. They were definitely not as bad as they were against Maryland. But they were still bad. They were definitely not great. What did we talk about last episode? You're going to run dribble handoffs and ball screens and force threes late in the shot clock. Well, that's exactly what they did. Didn't change a thing. Indiana knew it. Guess why? Because everyone in the Big Ten knows it. I know it. My grandma knows it. Richard Pitino, not making any adjustments. I think I'm just going to beat a dead horse the entire season about Richard Pitino's offense. You guys better buckle in. You gotta, you're going to be here with me this entire time. Oh, so one bright spot from that game is Jamal Mashburn Jr. I love having the guy. I'm sure Marcus Carr is going to be hightailing it out of here after the season. He's going to be on to bigger and better things. And Jamal Mashburn Jr. is still going to be here. And I'm really happy about that. But dang, 
really, really, really need the Gophers to get a win. You know why? Because they're 0-8 on the road. 0-8 on the road. How are you expecting to get into the NCAA tournament going 0-8 on the road? Literally. Gophers are 10th in the Big Ten according to conference record. That's 6 and 8. They've got games coming up against Penn State, Northwestern, Illinois, and Rutgers. The only team out of those four teams that I mentioned that I don't think they can beat is Illinois. So you go 3 and 1, you get a you get a road win here and there, right? You could get a road win at Penn State or at Northwestern. That's not that crazy. You got to get one. So you look at Mike DeCourcy, who projects a lot of the seeding for the NCAA tournament. And he's got nine Big Ten teams getting in as of today. And before the loss last night, he had the Gophers projected as a 10 seed. And I'm all for the Gophers getting in. I think they deserve it because of the wins that they put forward. But they didn't have to get my expectations up if they were going to play like this down the stretch. So a 10 seed before the loss, that could... You could drop down to 11, 12, 13. Like, that's when they're putting in some of those really, really good mid-major schools. Wouldn't it just be a downer to be one of those teams? Amongst one of those teams, I'm sorry. Like, I have nothing against good mid-major teams, right? But to be seated up there with the ceiling that the Gophers had this year and then just the fact that the elevator just collapsed and dropped all the way to the basement... These guys really, really, really get my blood pressure going. Their next game is Saturday against number 5 Illinois. It's going to be interesting. Hopefully the Gophers can get back on track. It's a, it's at home, so, I mean, maybe they can win. I, I'm not expecting it, though. Whew. Got a wild game tonight. Got a Wolves game tomorrow. Got a Gopher hockey game tomorrow. Got a Gopher basketball game on Saturday. There's a lot of action. Guys got to stay tuned. And if you don't watch it, just tune into the podcast because I will catch you up like I have been. That is my plan. That's the podcast for the night. Hope you guys have a good one. Had another dream about you. These days, only thing I do. We've been standing in the same room. People talking, but I-